1: Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketship fm twenty four. That's pork porkbun p o r k b u n dot com forward slash rocketship fm twenty four. You'll save a dollar on your next domain.
2: Happy Thanksgiving to all of our listeners in the U.S. I hope you're enjoying the holiday and maybe you're here because you need a, a quick break from all the turkey. So I wanted to bring you one of our favorite episodes from earlier this year, all about the competition between eBay and Amazon in the early 2000s. And what I love about this episode is there are lessons that I continually come back to about building marketplaces, where to focus and how to prioritize and talk about the problems that we solve with our teams. Who is our customer? and what matters. Those are some of the lessons that I took away from this story by Ben Foster, author of Build What Matters, which has also been a huge inspiration to me this year. And I hope you enjoy it. It's from our last season all about product failures. This is Product Failures eBay. So Mike, do you remember this commercial?
1: You don't have it? And where will I find it?
3: Where? And you can't seem to find the baseball that's been signed. That's on eBay. A new toy you can find, the men's suit that's silk lined. That's on eBay. Phones that ring, organize a thing, jazz or swing, nice bling bling. That's on eBay. Buy today and it's on its way. Other users say you will feel okay. That's on eBay.
0: Yeah, I think I do. That's like probably from the early 2000s maybe. Yeah, that's it. It's an eBay commercial that's heavily
2: geared towards buyers on the platform or getting new buyers to the platform. Okay, makes sense. But while their marketing was focused on buyers, that wasn't always the focus internally. In fact, there were some hard lessons that they had to learn before the product team really got this right.
0: Really? Yeah.
2: And it was taught to them by none other than the largest competitor in the early
0: 2000s, Amazon. And we're going to get into all of this on this week's episode of Rocket Chip.
2: Welcome to Rocketship.fm.
0: Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. I assume everyone is familiar with ebay at this point they launched in 1995 as an online auction platform and michael i gotta tell you i remember trading sports cards on ebay uh, back in the day in high school and then in college i made my beer money basically buying clothes from goodwill like brand name clothes like abercrombie and fitch and then i'd go on to okay. ebay and sell them and that's how I made my money. Well, that actually illustrates the the point
2: exactly what made eBay unique at the time, right? They were a two-sided marketplace and they were always managing both the supply and the demand side, which is a little bit different than some
0: online shopping. That's very true, yeah. And supply being the items that are actually sold on the platform, uh, and demand being the buyers that are visiting, bidding and ultimately purchasing on the platform.
2: Right. And and since they didn't stock any of the items, um they were relying on individuals like you um <laughs> or or businesses, right, that were listing
0: items up for auction. And if I remember right, didn't Pierre Omidyar start the company in order for his fiance to sell what was it? Pez dispensers or something? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a myth, right? I okay. actually found an interview of Pierre talking with Sarah Lacey um, about the origins of eBay and, and that story in particular.
3: I'd say it, uh, it wasn't uh, completely made up. There's, you uh-huh. know, like, like every creation myth, there's a uh, there's an element of truth to it, right? And, <laughs> you know, and, and the, the story is that, uh, is that uh, Pam was passionate about collecting pest dispensers. Now, it wasn't the reason that I created eBay, uh-huh. but it was something that helped me connect with the, um, uh, the passionate that Individual collectors have, mm-hmm. you know, about the things that they collect, mm-hmm. and uh, and so we, you know, we might have embellished a little bit on the on the story uh, uh, in those early days, but uh, I think that's uh, I think we can blame that on on PR people.
1: <laughs> I was just saying, we blame our reporters <laughs> or PR people. Let's
3: pick PR people.
0: <laughs> so eBay really did start with collectors in mind.
2: Yeah. In fact, the very first item sold on eBay was a broken laser pointer. Pierre himself had bought it for $30. He was amazed to find someone who was willing to pay just 14 bucks for it. (laughs) But as they grew, things did change. Yes. So five to six years after launching, eBay's focus was now on growth and they found themselves competing with
0: someone big, really big. But before we go further, we should probably pause first to hear a little bit from our sponsors. Okay, so you said eBay was competing with somebody big?
3: Yes, very big. It doesn't matter to me whether we're a pure internet player. What matters to me is do we provide the best customer service. Internet, schminternet, it's, that's, you know, that, that doesn't matter.
0: That must be Jeff Bezos. That's right. So Amazon was founded in 1994,
2: and by the early 2000s, they were hitting the same market demands
0: as eBay, and and they were really in direct competition for customers at that time. So these two market leaders, they're starting to compete for the same customers. Right, but they
2: took very different approaches in doing so. So eBay, they really focused on the sellers,
0: right, to ensure that they always had items in stock. And Amazon must have focused on the customers they ran their own distribution centers right so ben foster was who's the
2: the cpo at go canvas today he was the product manager of findings at ebay from 2001 to 2004 findings i i don't remember that exactly what is that <laughs> right so it's an internal term for the team that was in charge of customer search so they were in charge of the entire search experience for customers visiting
3: ebay It's really hard to measure some of those things. And so as most companies do, we ended up creating our own internal metrics for this. And there were metrics that I think on the surface seemed like they really made a lot of sense. So, you know, we would look at the search results page and say, if it's a successful search results page, then that should drive you to a bunch of item pages, right? <laughs> um, so you run a search on you, us I'm going to take something back from, from the era uh, of Lord of the Rings, let's say. So somebody is searching on Lord of the Rings DVD set. Uh, and we had, uh, wanted to make sure that we showed all the different products that made sense. We wanted to see how many view item pages we would get out of a search results page anytime that it was delivered with the assumption being that if you, uh, clicked on zero, of those search results, then probably the search results page itself would have been uh, sort of like a failure situation for the for the customer. And so we counted that and that was an internal metric. And we thought, okay, the more view item pages that we get can get per search result, then the better a job we're doing with the searches that we're delivering. Okay. That makes perfect sense to me.
0: Right. And in theory, it,
2: it could work, right? But there were a couple problems with this metric and eBay's model. What do you mean by that? So eBay was a marketplace powered by sellers. Right. And Amazon controlled its inventory, at at least at that time. And so they had
0: fixed costs for things like shipping. Okay. All right. I think I know where you're going with this
3: now you would as a buyer click on search uh, click to run a search you would get the search results page uh and then displayed on the search results page would be the item cost for each of these you know what the minimum bid was in certain cases if it was an auction but then there would be no indication of what the shipping cost was and so We were thinking, hey, shouldn't we put the shipping cost on the search results page? But at the same time, we're trying to merchandise these products and we're trying to make sure that we get, you know, uh, buyers to be attracted to them. And so on the other hand, we were kind of like, well, maybe we shouldn't really show them because that may that may prohibit people from wanting to click on it if the if the shipping cost is too high. But when you think about it, isn't that exactly the kind of thing that you want to do for your buyers is to provide them exactly the information that's going to allow them to make smart decisions about which items to click on and not. So we were reluctant to make some of the more bold decisions that may uh you know displace a certain item or may make the item look worse than it than it, than it may be but that would be the appropriate thing to do for a customer and so the kind of experience that we were effectively creating was one where they would see all these items shown and they would have to click on them one at a time because they would see the item price but the item prices would all be artificially low so it'd be like hey i can get this box set of dvds for two dollars you know that's great Hey, this other one is $1.50 that's even better you know but of course you get to the item and you realize that they're jacking the shipping cost up to $25 And that explains why the item price was what it was.
0: So this is one of the areas where eBay and Amazon just philosophically differed from each other. Right. eBay was hesitant to improve the actual buyer
2: experience and was optimizing for what they thought was a successful search experience and that a customer visited lots of items and pages and that made their sellers happy. Right. Um,
0: And, you know, they made sure they eventually bought something. But in reality, this was probably a sign that the customers were frustrated, or at least trying to avoid being duped by a buyer just, you know, jacking up shipping costs or something. Amazon, on the other hand, was taking a much different approach. And we'll hear about that approach after a quick word from our sponsors.
3: So we were discussing Amazon's approach to the market we were kind of holding ourselves back. And at the same time, you had Amazon over there making really bold decisions about improved buyer experiences that were really focused on convenience and ensuring that the buyers had a really excellent experience. And at the end of the day, I think that resulted in, while we were trying to help our sellers, buyers over time choosing to type amazon.com into their browser rather than ebay.com into their browser the next time they were looking for a similar product.
0: So he touched on the crux of this at the end there. eBay was optimizing for the seller experience, making sure they had views on their products, making their experience easier, while Amazon focused on the customer acquisition and retention by making the customer experience just as seamless as possible.
2: Right. And and while this search was one example of Like eBay focusing too heavily on the wrong side of the market or really the wrong metric for the market, the search results themselves weren't really conducive to a good customer experience.
0: Right. On Amazon, you'd search for Lord of the Rings DVD and you'd get (laughs) one result for the DVD. But on eBay, you'd get 10 separate results for that same DVD. Yeah, or maybe 10,000.
3: Yeah, you know, th- there were so many examples of this, I think, where we were a little bit concerned about what the impact would be to some of our internal metrics that we kind of forgot about what the the buyer metric really was in the first place. And if you recompose this, this metric of success of search results, it's not about how many items somebody clicks on, right? Because that, w- that made us concerned about showing the shipping cost. Well, what if we show the shipping cost and somebody doesn't click on it? It's like, that's actually a really good thing, right? Um, because I, I don't want to encourage sellers to manipulate the prices and uh, and kind of like give a little bit of a, of a kind of like clickbait effectively with their item that created like a worse buyer experience. But there were several different cases like this uh, that all kind of like added up to... Um, to what sellers kind of perceived to be a good buying experience, but that buyers we know, uh, you know, kind of like created a problem for them. So um, yeah, when when we we would show every individual listing as though it was a completely unique product. And when you have literally 10,000 examples of a Lord of the Rings DVD set showing up, there were several problems that would come from that. You know, one of them is that obviously it's just kind of a, a commodity, like it's the same product, right? So I don't want to see the same thing over and over again. What if I'm not even looking for the DVD set? And what's actually happening is that the DVD sets are cluttering the poster that I wanted to buy. And so you can't even find that, right? So that would be one problem that we would run into. But the other one was we would show the results in descending order from the time that the auction was set to expire. So, you know, at eBay, you would post your for your product and you list, uh, you list it for 30 cents. And then you say, well, I paid my money to have my item listed. So I damn well expect that by the end, uh, when the auction is kind of like nearing ex- it's expiration that my item should be shown at the top, right? Because this is my last chance to get bids, uh, and purchases on this item. And so the sellers really wanted their item to show up at the top. But when you have that many, what that meant was that the first 20 results would all be items that are literally ending in the next 30 seconds. And the very top item might be one that ends in two seconds. So by the time you click on it and the item page loads, now the auction is over, (laughs) right? So we were again reluctant to change it because of the impact that it might have to the sellers or the frustration that they might that they might you know uh, share with us. But at the end of the day, I think it's because we were asking sellers really the wrong question. We were asking what would it take for you to you know list more things on eBay? What's going to make you individually happy? But we weren't thinking about the sort of uh, the prisoner's dilemma kind of like issue that, 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 that basically generated where what each seller wanted for themselves was generating a worse experience for the buyer. And the buyer was then choosing to go shop somewhere else entirely. And the one question that we never asked sellers that we always really needed to was to say, what could we have done to improve your experience? So that more buyers would type in ebay.com into their browser, rather than amazon.com in their browser. And if I can just give you more buyers, then you're going to have a great experience on eBay. And instead, we were asking them things like, you know, what would you know, what would you like want to do with uh, inventory management and other kinds of things like that. Which, at the end of the day, are all very helpful as long as the demand is actually there. That is a tough lesson
0: to learn. And well, they ended up doing just fine in the long run. They've never caught up to Amazon completely, really, right?
3: Boy, was that lesson you know dealt in a, in a really tough way. You know, um, so this I was there from 01 to 05. We made a lot of those decisions, and I think our own. Growth, which was propelled by just more people coming online at that time, almost masked some of the issues that we were creating. And if you look at how the stock performed in the next three years after, which is a result of many of these kinds of decisions that I think we made in product, the Amazon stock price was up from 2005 to 2008 by 250%. And the eBay stock price was down 60% from 2005 to 2008. And that was even before the, you know, before the financial crisis of 2008, which drove it down another 50% after that. <laughs> so, you know, these things have real ramifications and it was, it, it seems like a subtlety, right? It seems like a minor point to just think, you know, we're going to look at this one metric with our lens rather than our customer's lens. But I think had we looked at some of these metrics of success through our customer's eyes rather than through our own we would have been in a much better place to make much better decisions that would have really driven the company forward instead of backwards.
2: And even today, eBay, you know, they've got a $27 billion market cap, right? Which is impressive, right? No (laughs) no one's mad at that. I'd say so. (laughs) But Amazon, they're working with a $1 trillion
0: market cap ugh that is a different ball game completely right. for sure <laughs> but g- good lessons for those that are working at marketplaces with fierce competition i mean your focus matters and these mistakes they have real consequences when it comes to a company's trajectory yeah so coming up we have a product that i think everyone listening is familiar with when it comes to social networks Ooh, Facebook. Close. Next week, we're actually going to be breaking down Google's failed attempt to Ooh. take down that social networking giant, Facebook, with Google Plus.
2: Okay, I'm actually looking forward to that. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, for all the new listeners out there, if you haven't yet, if you enjoyed this episode, please. Give us a rating, a review, wherever you listen to podcasts. It really makes a huge difference. And for over 400 episodes on product and entrepreneurship, visit Rocketship.fm. And for a brand new episode, we'll see you right here next Thursday for more stories about product failures. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It's your support that keeps the show going. Rocketship.fm is now part of the Podglomerate Network. If you want to learn more about the other shows on the Podglomerate Network, go to
0: thepodglomerate.com. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. If you go to productcollective.com, you could check out live video interviews, sign up for our newsletter, be a part of our Slack group with over 6,000 product people. Just check it out at productcollective.com.